Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hi, everyone. Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions along with Stephen Slate. And um, what we're going to talk about today is, well, we're going to talk about shame. We had a request to talk about that. And we're going to talk about how shame is a choice, number one, um, that it is part of the addiction recovery system. I mean, you're supposed to motivate yourself with shame, right? You're supposed to feel shameful for your behaviors Um, and how we're going to talk about how that's really does block you from figuring out what you really like and from solving your addiction for good. Yeah. So I, Michelle was talking this morning and we were looking at the, um, the, uh, this is an aside. This is totally an aside off topic, <laughs> but we were talking about the podcast and we looked at the analytics. We never look at the analytics. We just never have. And I, I realized that there's 114,000 uh, downloads of our podcast now. And thank you, by the way. Yeah, that's a big number. It was shocking (laughs) to us, to be honest. And, and it's, it's many thousands a month that we're that download. So what occurred to us is that we've been doing this for 33 years and it's very easy for us to not get bored, but, but not really realize how many new faces and listeners are, are watching us. Right. 
And so you may be think you may be a first time listener or somebody who's watching us do this broadcast. And you may be thinking, what are they talking about? (laughs) You know, because, because when it comes to addiction, we are way different than everything that you hear in Western culture about addiction. We literally turn it on its head and we've done the research. We've applied the science for 33 years where most researchers haven't. Nope. And, uh, and certainly the industry is absolutely caught up in something that is ancient and useless and harmful, which is the 12 step paradigm and it's offshoots. It's, it's all based on this disease propaganda. So I want to start with something for the new listener, just really quick. And that is you don't have a disease. And if it, if you're a parent or a loved one of somebody with a substance use problem, we use the term substance use, not even substance abuse. We use the term substance use because people are doing exactly what they want to do all the time, all the time, even when they're using heavily, consistently, even tragically, uh, they are still doing it because they believe it's their best option in the moment in which they're sticking the needle in their arm or taking that drink. Um, it may turn out terrible, but make no mistake, they are choosing this. Um, that's hard for people to hear because the disease gives families and people sort of a certain level of comfort for a little while. Then it, true. then it turns into a disaster as time goes on. And even that doesn't give solace to people anymore because they realize that even the disease moniker doesn't make the person better after all, right? Because all we care about is that people get better. So with all that said, we have been working on helping people move on from their addictions completely and permanently, whether that's by successful moderation to non-problematic levels or abstaining completely. And we've been doing that for three decades now, and we have a proven way to do that. And that's by telling them the truth. Yep. So that's what our podcast is all about. And that's uh, for the people that have watched us and our, our fans. Sorry that you had to listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one more thing uh, for our new new listeners. We published our book in November of 2017. You can get our book. You can get it on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. You can get a paperback. You can get a Kindle edition. There's an audio book available. Or you can get it right on our website, thefreedommodel.org. Um, and it's, it's very inexpensive, um, but it has a solution for you. That's right. And there's bookend ads on this podcast that also describe our products or services. And we have a product or a service for literally every socioeconomic group worldwide. Yep. From free services all the way to our retreat where you can come and stay with us for weeks at a time and learn directly with me and Michelle. Yep. Be immersed in it. That's right. (laughs) And we do that one-on-one with you. Yes. I I work with the males. Everything's private. That's right. She works with the females. I work with the males. And typically. Yeah. Sometimes it works out different. People have requests. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So so, uh, there's a service for everybody. Yes, exactly. So let's get to our topic today. Um, and look at it. If there's a topic you want to hear us talk about, um, there's a private group on Facebook called the Freedom Model Group. We will, you can post right on in that group. No, none of your other friends, unless they're in that private group, can see your posts or your comments. They don't even, they can't even, I don't even think see that you're in the group because it's private. Yeah. Um, you can let us know and we'll be, we'll do a podcast on whatever topics you guys request. Okay. Um, so this was a request today about shame and 
and and that whether or not our emotions and the way the shame is a choice, That's right? right? Um, and look at shame is inbred in our culture with respect to intoxication and substance use. And it is in a lot of cultures. And so that's kind of where that emanates from. And the 12 step model, 12 step based treatment is all based on trying to motivate you by, by shaming you. That's right. And, you know, by telling you you're selfish, yourself will run riot. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, so know that if, if you're struggling, I, I put up a post yesterday, a, what I called the better is better post where if you're making progress in different areas, you know, say you had six abstinent days and you feel felt really great about it. You're like, I was happy you're abstinent all those days. And then you had one day where you were like, I'm going to drink some, but you, it kind of got away from you and you ended up going back to, to intoxication for a night, you know, in the 12 step program. Oh, you've screwed that up. You have to start all over again. You're a bad, bad person. That was bad what you did, Yeah. you know, but in, in the freedom model, I'm sorry if I just hit that in the freedom model, better is better. Look at, this is a process for some people of figuring out how you can be happier. And so you, you run little experiments with yourself to figure out, do I still like it as much as I used to? And if you start to feel shameful about it, that gets in the way of, of, you know, that, that kind of keeps on extraneous things that are not helpful. Right. Yeah. So, so let's start, let's back up and start, uh, with what is an emotion. Oh, good one. Right. So shame is a feeling that we have a, a mental mindful scenario. It's something that is a product of our mind and our mind is not our brain. And you can go through the podcast if you don't understand what I'm saying there. But just to suffice it to say, you have thoughts, mm -hmm. metaphysical thoughts, thoughts, right? And our emotions are thoughts. And it's how we feel things and how we frame them in our mind. So here's an example. If you feel that your life circumstances are futile, that no matter what, it's never going to get better. You will frame the situation in a depressed way. You will become depressed. You might even become anxious. You will feel that way because you frame the thought as futile and hopeless. And if you think that over and over again enough, what do we call that? We call that depression. Right. So it's not a condition. So these, these, uh, uh, our emotions don't happen to us. They aren't things that happen to us based on brain chemistry, for example, that you commonly hear. Which there is new research out that refutes that whole model. Uh, by this is an aside that refutes that whole model that are the chemical that it's a chemical imbalance in our brain that causes these things. Just so you know. There's yeah, maybe maybe we'll put the link of mm -hmm. that article uh, when we post the podcast. Yes. Okay, so look for the article and you can click on it to, and it'll, it'll, it it's explains a, it's it. It's wonderful research. It was, it's, it's a collection of a lot of research, yes. which was, is nice. It's basically what we did in the freedom model. Like they collected all the research for you yeah. um, and then explain it in layman's terms, which is pretty cool. Uh, that's rarely done in psychology unless there's some bullshit agenda. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> some sales technique. Um, but anyway, so 
your emotions don't happen to you. You are not a victim of how you feel. This is such a hard thing for people because you've been taught that you're fragile. And, and this newest generation of children and, oh. and adolescents and even into people into their 30s now are products of a system, the education system that has been teaching fragility, that, that people are fragile of being bullied. They're fragile of, of, of succumbing to addiction if they have a bad day. Uh, they can get hooked by addictive drugs. We put the power in the drug instead of the person. Um, so it's a, it's a weird culture that we're developing, and it's all mythology. And it's a religion. It's an addiction religion. That's what we talk about it as. So you got to cast that aside and understand that how you frame your world, what you think about your circumstances, if you believe you're fixed and stuck forever, my God, you'll be anxious and miserable and depressed. Well, and that, that, that goes along with what your self-image is, how you feel about yourself, how you talk to yourself. Um, and, and this whole idea of labeling yourself as this broken person, yeah. you know, whether you label yourself as a person who is an addict or an alcoholic, or you label yourself as a depressive or as, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm an anxious mess. Look at everyone feels sad, anxious, uh, the, the whole range of emotions yeah, are scared. all very normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're all very normal. So it, so in depending on how you deal with it is what matters, right? Yeah. So let's talk about guilt and shame and how you deal with that. So guilt is I did something wrong. I'm going to fix that. I feel guilty. Right. I've, that can be productive. Yep. Yep. There's, there's feeling guilty about a si cer certain situation or, or happenstance. And then you correct it or you don't, or maybe you leave that relationship, whatever the solution might be. The point is you have a feeling, you framed it as, Ooh, that was a mistake. God, I feel guilty. That's embarrassing, whatever it might be. But then when we convert it and we choose, and this is the point that our, our fan had asked about, how do you choose shame? Well, you choose to take something that you feel guilty about or a series of events that you feel guilty about. Which series you, of choices, series of activities, choices, yep, regrets, whatever it might be. And then you internalize it as I am shameful. So you go from, bad, right? I am bad. So yeah, that's a better way of saying mm -hmm. it. So you take a, a situation that really is outside of you, which is I did this thing and I feel guilty. And then you convert it to I, a self, I, I identify as I am bad. Right. Because of this situation. At that point, what you're doing, do you see that there's no solution when we say I am bad? If we fully concentrate on that, what we're doing is we're going down a path that has no solution. Nope. There's no productive means with shame. It is designed purely to self-flog and feel bad and stay immersed in it. And then you can indulge. Right. Because if I'm bad, right, if I'm bad, well, doesn't intoxication look that much more attractive, right? I'm a bad person anyways. Why don't I just go get drunk every night? I feel terrible about myself. Um, why don't I just, I'm going to go get some more heroin so I can feel good again, so I can feel better. It, it literally makes intoxication your best option. 
at times, especially because you're still carrying the erroneous belief that drugs and alcohol can relieve shame and relieve stress. And it can't. That's a different topic. So if you are new, it can't. Well, let's qualify that. It doesn't pharmacologically do that. You may feel relief from it momentarily because you're distracting yourself with something you enjoy. Yep. Because you like the high, right? But you could do that with just about anything that you enjoy. And and much more productive avenues. Absolutely. That that aren't so um destructive. Yeah. And har- like risky and harmful. So so now here's another angle, and people really dislike when I say this. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I'm having a private conversation with somebody and we're talking about shame, shame has a side to it where it's a, it's almost a feel good. I, I'm shameful. Indulgence. Right? Yes, indulgence. Um, but if I convert that to, you know, you have a lot of self pity. People don't like that because it sounds childish. Like, oh, you're kind of being a brat. Well, you are. Yeah, it's- you are. You can you can start with self pity and all of a sudden delve into shame, and those two are stable mates, boy. You know, and then you keep it rolling. I feel. You just concentrate on all the things that you feel shameful about. And that self-pity is the concentrating part, is the indulging part. You indulge with self-pity. You're investing in it. Yes, you're investing in it. So the self-pity is where you go, oh, I'm just so, so terrible. That's the investment. And the shame part is I'm bad. So those two coupled together is a guaranteed way to destroy a life. Yeah. But for a little while, you know, I'm definitely someone that can relate to indulging in that, even not as a substance user, even, you know, know, there's the mommy wine culture kind of thing. Like, like a lot of women, a lot of women I work with, you know, we're, we do everything. We're super women. And then, then you might be like, the martyr. martyr. I'm so I'm going to indulge in this. This this is mommy time. This is me time. And, and if you, if you really dive deep and indulging in it, this is when we get people that, that spend the thousands of dollars on alcohol, medications, therapy. And a lot of times it gets worse because it feeds that idea that you're emotionally broken and fragile. And and then you can even indulge deeper in it because the medications aren't working. You know, life is very hard and it's getting harder because I got to tell you something, being in my mid fifties, um, physically life doesn't get easier (laughs) physically. It, you know, it takes a little bit more effort to, to keep yourself going the older that you get physically, but it's well worth it. It's well worth it. But there are a lot of women my age who have already given up. They've already given up because they became part of this system of, of feeling broken and bad and shameful. And, you know, you, now you've got multiple mental health diagnoses, right? Yeah. So, so what, why would we indulge as human beings? Animals don't do this. No, they don't do this. Cause they die. Yeah. So what is the utility? What is the function or the positive side of indulging in self-pity and shame because there's no way that you would ever go down such a painful and exhausting path unless it had benefit. 
on somewhere, somewhere in that mix, in those ingredients that you've concocted. I call it hell stew, you know, a little self-pity, a little indulging and, you know, self-pity and shame. When What is the utility of it? And I'm going to tell you what the, oh, the utility is. Oh, I know is. what it is. It's so that you don't have to change. So you don't have to do anything. You don't. Yeah, you literally can stay fixed with no risk. Yeah. No emotional risk, no vulnerability to go out and produce. Because let's face it, if you're in a high pressure company, let's say, or you run your own business, self-pity and shame don't work to get the bills paid. God, no. It doesn't take the kids to soccer practice. It doesn't take care of the divorce you're going through. It doesn't take care of the legal bills. So you hide. You hide in shame and self-pity. And these are hard things for people to hear because they go, no, my life is a catastrophe. Well, yes, it is. If you say that it is, I get it. Mine was too. It was horrendous, to be honest with you. And I indulged in massive self-pity. Me too. Huge crying jags drinking, which embarrasses me now because I'm a guy. Um, and I would I would just indulge and indulge in, in all this awful shit that happened to me. And then one day I was just like, God, I want a better life. Yeah. And I'm ready to let go of this old pattern. And I, luckily I had the architect of the Freedom Model, Michelle's dad, who was who helped me through that. Um, and he, and, and he was relentless on me. He said, you know, stop being such a self-pitying nightmare. You know, um, that was my therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for some people, the, the, the indulgence is, seems worth it, worth it to them because it, they want people to leave them alone. And so people do for some people, they want attention from it. And they get it, you know, by way of people rest coming to their rescue, bringing them to to the emergency room or bringing them to. I mean, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, we're going to get a lot of people, you know, that are going to go to the mat for the fact that they can't control what's happening to them. But here's the, the interesting thing. And you can talk to just about any therapist worth their salt, right? Any therapist the only person that can pull you out of that, the only thing that can pull you out of that malaise, that self-pity, that, you know, indulgent state uh, where you're, where you're just drinking yourself to death or, or, you know, where you've stopped um, communicating. The only person that can do it is you. Yeah. There, there's literally yep. no medication. There's no, I mean, if, if people are hell-bent on, on being sad, depressed, self-pitying, shameful, they'll keep doing it. Yeah. So I had a guest here one time. His, I won't uh, – let's say his name was Tom. It's not. But I said, Tom, why don't he really indulged his – well, first of all, he had some bad things going on at home. His wife was cheating on him. He was losing the kids. He was drinking himself to death. He was on the verge of losing his job. He had lots to be self-pitying about. But he came here for a solution. And so we got about three quarters of the way through the course. And every day there was he'd come in and he'd put his head down. And he'd, you know, I say, What's wrong, Tom? I just found out, you know, I looked at the phone records and my wife is cheating on me. I got her texts and there's this whole thing. And I said, Is that a surprise? You know, based on what you've told me, I don't think that's much of a surprise. Not, I wasn't trying to be mean. He said, no, it's not a surprise. And I said, so 
why don't why don't you take some steps to to change your marriage? Let's work on the legal issues. Let's start problem solving. And he'd go, oh, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And and finally, I just said to him. Now, most therapists at that point would can him. They'd say, you got to go. I can't help you. But I I had a tool that I knew would be effective. And I said, Tom, I want you to do something. I want you to write all the benefits of your self-pity. And he looked at me. And I said, hmm. listen, I write down, you have a day to do it. Write down all the benefits, why exactly you like this state you're in right now. Because every day you come into class with some new catastrophe and you catastrophize it, you don't solve it, and you're really super dedicated to it. Like, like few people I've seen. You are keeping your life, you're spending all this money to be here <laughs> and you're getting nothing out of it. Right. So we may as well address why you love to be self-pitying. And he goes, I don't love it. I, this, you think I want to be like this? I said, yeah, I do. Maybe not consciously. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't wake up every day and think I'm going to be a self-pitying person. That's not what you're doing, but you, but your actions belie the truth. So you're, you're, you're waking up every day. And then mentally going through all of this negative stuff and, and whatever negative self-talk is going on in there, you feel like you deserve it, right? You, you believe, yeah, I'm just this terrible person. And oh, see, all these terrible things keep happening to me. Have you ever known someone like that where you're just like, why do these terrible things keep happening to this person? Yeah. yeah. You know, or entire families, like a generational curse. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you believe that about yourself, yeah. well, then you manifest it. You absolutely do. In your actions. Yeah, you do. Yep. You do. And well, he came back the next day and was totally blown away. He, it changed him. Self-awareness. Yeah. He was like, my God, I didn't know. Yeah. And that's to your point, Michelle. He had no idea, but I had to hit him hard. I don't normally do that, I, but but this was. Well, there's some people that, it, it, yeah, the, 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 the most direct. You know what's the shortest point between <laughs> shortest distance between two points? Yeah, it's direct. <laughs> it's direct. It's a straight line. Yeah. So this was a case where we had to we had to be that way. There was, but I look at I danced around it for three weeks, you know, and let him. I had to understand too, as his instructor, what the hell was going on. Right. You know, was was there situations, for instance, that he couldn't change. And there were some, so we had to, we had to divide out what he could change, what he couldn't change, how, what was, how were we going to attack the things you could change? And also how are you going to attack the things you can't change and you feel terrible about, you know, in your past. And so letting go of shame and and guilt and, and self-pity. So I hope that everybody out there that has indulged in this, I've indulged in it to the point of suicide. I had two suicide attempts. So it takes a dramatic focus on catastrophizing problems. And look at my life was not good. You know, I didn't have a good upbringing. I was an intensely lonely, abused child. So I had all the reasons out there that they give for being susceptible to depression and all that. And I bought in. Oh, yeah. Um, But there's no answer there. No. There's no answer there. I, I had to, I had to move on. I had to let go of all the regret and all the trauma and all the pain and say, 
I don't think I want to be attached to this anymore. And I think I'm going to build a new life for myself and come up with a new self-image. And for me, it was the good citizen. I, I gave it a name and I changed and I let it go. And I got out of the habit. That habit, by the way, took me about 10 years to undo. I would have thing, bad things happen and I would catastrophize really quick and I'd go right into that rut and i go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like this. I don't have to do this. And, and I'd reframe it. I'd say, what is the solution? And I found I could just solve just about everything. Well, you know, I, and I want to, I want to explain something. Substance users, people who have struggled, struggled with substance use, aren't the only ones that experience all this stuff. Okay. Like there's this idea and the, and the addiction recovery community, even if you've been sober, let's say 20 years or whatever, you know, that every, all of these problems happen to you because you were an addict, right? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. life is hard for everyone at times. And for some people, it's hard a lot. And so, so it was probably now we're going on eight years ago or so, seven, eight years ago, where I got into that, that catastrophizing mode, not as a heavy substance user, you know, our business was struggling. My marriage was bad at the time. Um, I was, you know, working very long hours. My kids were teenagers. Um, we had to, we were looking at having to put somebody into college and, and financially we were strong. I mean, there was just all this stuff was piling up. I lost a few people very close to me in very quick succession. Um, you know, two that I were totally unexpected. And, and so it was, it was like all of this stuff was heaping on me and without even realizing it, you know, I, I kind of, I, I kept going. I'm not somebody that'll lay down and be depressed. You know, what do we call that high functioning depression, right? Cause there's names for everything. Now there's clinicalizing everything now. And so I managed to get up and go to work every day. Um, but I didn't do a whole lot. I'd stopped exercising, stopped eating right. I stopped doing a lot of the things that make me feel good physically and mentally and, and just, I mean, Mark remembers, I just kind of got into this mode of same shit, different day. Life is always going to suck. And with, and I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't recognize it until, um, I can't even remember what happened, but one day I just woke up and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, and, uh, and I, I think I went for a walk. I went for a walk and then I like just started walking every day, forcing myself. I started eating a little bit differently because I had, my weight had gone way up and, and I was just, I'm just like, I'm going to consciously change my mind. I'm going to conscious. And it was work every damn day. Like every day I had to wake up and be like, what are you thinking? Like becoming mindful but, of but, my thoughts. But let me jump in. I, I watched and I've gone through the same process, di different situations, but same process. But what happens is you see the benefit in it. Yes. So sometimes the benefit of staying stuck in your depression and staying stuck in your self-pity and shame and guilt and all those things there's benefit to that. And that's obviously the status quo remaining unchanged and there's stability there. Yeah, known, there is. It's a known quantity and there's benefits to being stable, even if it's in chaos, even if it's misery, even if it's misery, that's right. like we always talk about, 
you know, that happiness is like a, a continuum. It's like a spectrum. And, and for some people, they're way down here and drinking gets them one tiny step above abject misery. And I think that when you make the decision to let go of shame, self-pity and guilt, right? Um, you are on a low level of happiness with those things. It's kind yes. of like you've you've buried yourself in a vat of mud and you can't really see out. And and as soon as you say, I'm committed to some change and you see it as a positive, you will immediately be above that pit. I mean, it's immediate. There yeah. is no, but you have to believe it. You have to believe somewhere in your heart that you have a desire to have a better life. You got to be hungry to have a better life. I heard that just this morning. You got to be hungry, right? And you don't have to be super committed to, you know, running a marathon and no, God, goal no. setting and I all will that. never do that. It, it can start. <laughs> it can start. It can be that, but it can start with, I think I'm ready to not just indulge in this shitty thought. Exactly. And no matter how many times I think about my husband cheating on me, it doesn't change it. And it just makes me feel like shit and less of a woman, right? You, you could have that situation. So you have to say, I think I'm ready to let that go and go on a date. Yeah. I, I'm, or, or I'm just willing to let it go and, and accept that, you know, you had a better offer over there. I'm going to go over here and get a better offer, <laughs> you know, for me, you know, so, so you have to shift your focus into what are the benefits of change? Because if you don't go in that direction, you can't let go of stability because it's going right. to win every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, can I, can I shift my thinking to be excited about my future again? Because I think that's what it was. I got into my 40s. One of the things that actually helped pull me out of it was working on the freedom model. Mm -hmm. You know, it was yep. the three of us, you know, when they pulled me in to collaborate on it. Um, and I started reading what they were writing. It got me excited again about my career because I, I felt I wasn't excited about what we were doing anymore. We were helping a lot of people. Um, but, but I was the chief operating officer and it was, uh, it was exhausting. It was exhausting every day. And, and it was, it was hard having, you know, our company was pretty large at that point. Um, and, and I was ready to do something different and I, but I felt like I was stuck. Yeah. And I think that's what happens is you get stuck. And so like people that stay in bed from depression make that choice to stay in bed because, because it feels safer. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's less risky. It's stable. Yeah. It's stable in pain. Yeah. When I would come home at night, I would not do anything. I wasn't going to the gym anymore. I wasn't doing anything. I would come home and I would turn on Netflix and I would sit there and, and, literally do nothing until I went to bed. And so every day became that. Well, I, I had a similar situation. Here's an analogy, but it's a physical one. So I wrecked my back when I was 15 in a motorcycle accident, right? So I've had pain my whole life. And the pain, uh, you get used to it. And I never took pills. I never, I they told me I had to have surgery when I was 27 years old. I'm 52 now and I still haven't had surgery. But it progressively got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I just accepted it, accepted it. And yes. my, life, my life got less and less capable physically until finally it started to, the pain was so great and the injury so bad that it was eating away at the things I really have passion for. And 
And then one day I had a flare up and I was sitting out on my deck. This wasn't that long ago with my wife. And I just had tears coming out of my face and out of my eyes. And part of that is if you're in enough pain and you're so used to it, there comes a breaking point yep. where tears will just start coming out of your eyes. And I was shaking and I, was, I realized I'm in like dire pain and I've been in dire pain for like four days at that point. And I just had tears just running out of my fucking eyes. And that's when it hit me. I go, Oh my God. Like I've allowed this to rule yes. my life in this incremental lowering of my quality of life. It's the, it's the frog in the boil in the water. Yes. And it yeah. was boiling, man. Yeah. It was boiling. And I was like, and then I started to really cry. Danielle looked at me and she goes, I, I know, honey. I, I go, no, I'm, I, it's twofold. It's the pain. And I think that I'm crippled for the rest of my life. I got to do something. And so I started this track through all these different ideas that I thought were bullshit. I've because I've done the chiropractor thing. Been, I know, <laughs> you know, and then, and then I he went was to skeptical and then I went to a very simple thing that everybody had told me to do that. I've heard a million times doesn't work, which is physical therapy, right? Having a professional do physical therapy. I'm like, Oh Jesus Christ, really? I'm going to go <laughs> one session. She's identified the problem that nobody had identified by the way in nearly no orthopedic surgeons. And they all wanted to cut him. Yeah. We're talking MRIs. And she looked and she was like, Oh, you're, you're tight here. You're tight here. This is all fixable in two sessions. My pain was cut in half in three sessions. It's down to maybe 10% of what, it, you know, down 90%. And now I'm, I'm, almost good. And, and there's maybe a half hour a day that I have to devote to certain stretches and exercises. And I'm a, I'm an in shape dude. Anyway, I walk tons of miles and do pushups and all that anyway. But the point is it was, it was just exploring and I didn't believe it was possible. I just on the slimmest of margins, I said, I have to do it, but I was boiling. I was that frog boiling in the water and I said, this is craziness. Yeah. Yeah. This I don't know. Like, why, why, why am I still living like this? So that's how this happens is, you know, I've heard somebody say by the time you're like 35 to 40 years old, every like 90% of what you do is habitual. And so you go through your days, you go through your life and, and sometimes you get in these habitual ways of thinking that you don't even recognize that are diminishing your quality of life. And it could be this shameful thinking, shameful thinking, yeah. which, which feeds the cycle of doing this thing that makes you feel shameful. Right. Yep. And, and then self-pity and then self-pity. And it just keeps going and going. And until you, you, and, and life gets harder and harder and harder. And I, I've seen this stuff online, this choose your hard because you know, becoming happy is hard. Being depressed all the time is hard. Choose your hard. Okay. That's a great, great analogy. That's a great saying. Yeah. Like so, so you pick, you pick what you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and that's what we're talking about with choose shame your. is a choice. So, so let me do that. So, so choose your hard. So depression, framing your life as depressed because of circumstance and then framing your life with shame it's, and guilt yeah. is driving you like a spike into the earth. So that's hard. That's very hard. That's so, a terrible, that's so hard. And in, interestingly enough, trying to remain stable in this misery pit while the universe is constantly changing 
is impossible. So life is going to land in your lap in that pit. So now you're in the pit. You can't see out or you decide not to look out and the shit is filling up. Yes. So awful. that's, that's a pretty rough. That's a, that's, that is, I can't, that's a difficult life that you have, you have, and, and it's hard when you're there, it's hard to know that you've chosen it. It that, doesn't feel like you've that chosen is so it. so true. And then, but here's how you know you've chosen it. <laughs> if you choose your heart the other direction, do it for a day. Yeah. Ch- just, just allow for the possibility. Yeah. So d- fix one thing that makes you depressed. Just fix one thing, pay a bill, do something and see how you feel. Yeah. I, I posted something about like, like just, just pick three things to do on a particular day. Maybe go for a 10 minute walk, do a push up. You know what I mean? Um, choose not to eat a piece of candy. Yeah, like if you're and, somebody and, that and does that every day. And right? see it as a benefit. And, and see, see it, it as, as a benefit. As Mark a benefit. and I talk about that all the time because we, at the retreat here, we do keep a bowl of candy. <laughs> People coming off alcohol crave sweets a lot, right? So we do we do have, you know, and everybody's different. We have different things for people to eat. There's always a bowl of candy here. I can't remember the last time I took a piece of candy out of that bowl. Right. Like... Like I'll, I'll, it might cross my mind. Mark said it the other day. He's like, you know, I don't think I'll have an almond joy today. (laughs) Yeah. I have my daily almond joy. And I was like, but I win by not having it because every time I don't have one in 365 days a year, if I don't have one, that's like mega pounds. Right. right. And and I was like, and I won't be diabetic and, and all these types of things. So I win. I win. So yeah, choose your heart. Choose the things that are going to be beneficial, yeah. right? And your life will change. Now look at if you're somebody that you're on medications, you know, antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, don't don't listen to this. Go, oh, I'm gonna stop taking. <laughs> don't do that, right? I talk to your therapist. Say, you know, I heard stuff today about choices. And do you think maybe I'm choosing my depression? Like talk to a therapist about it. If your therapist says, of course you're not, this is a chemical imbalance, get a new therapist. Yeah. Because there's no chemical imbalance that's measurable in the human brain. And that's not what is causing your depression. We'll have the link. Yes. On, so on here, so get a different therapist. You want to find somebody. Uh, co- that's why cognitive behavioral therapy is the most effective therapy for helping people because it talks about reframing your beliefs, changing your beliefs about yourself, about the world around you and how you interpret events. Okay. That's what you want. You want to be able to recognize. I do an exercise with my guests about negative, about self-talk, not necessarily negative self-talk, but, but I want them to become acutely aware of how they talk to themselves, how they think about themselves and, and how what, they frame the events of their yeah, life. What do they think they're worth? Yeah. You know, do you think you're worth only being in the pit? Yeah. Right. Or do you think you're worth more? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. We've been going a really long time. Yeah. This is a really long episode. Um, so I guess I think we can wrap it up by, by saying, um, yeah, there's the, the emotions you know, as a woman that has been going through menopause, I can tell you that there are days, and he'll attest to this, that I'm a little less um, 
what is the word I'm looking for? Tolerant. <laughs> Tolerant of bullshit. Right. Um, or, I, or of life. In yeah. General. And I'm, right. I'm just a little bit more Less resilient. I like, I'm like a raw nerve a little bit. Um, like maybe if I haven't slept well or whatever, but I recognize it. And, and maybe I can't make myself feel giddy on that particular day, but I can definitely not feel like life is futile. Right. I, I definitely right. know that, oh, this is a temporary hormonal weird thing going on and I can still laugh and I can still get through my day. And I still know if I get a good night's sleep, I'm going to feel better the next day. That's right. You know, nothing's futile anymore. You don't, it, it's life is going to choose your heart, choose your heart. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Right. And um, take care. We'll be back next time. All right. Bye.